Hi, this is Chief Master Sergeant Shea G, the Command Chief at the 436, the airlift wing at Dover Air Force Base, Delaware. I am here with Senior Shanklin and Staff Sergeant James, and we are going to talk and share just a little bit about our stories uh, growing up uh, and what got us to where we are at today. And so with that, I'll let each of them introduce themselves, and then we'll go into sharing stories. Sergeant James. Well, I am Staff Sergeant Leonard James. I come from Barksdale Air Force Base, just recently PCS to Dover Air Force Base. I did 10 years reserve and switched over to active duty this past July. Uh, my AFSC as far as vehicle maintenance, that's pretty much all I could give for right now. Okay, Senior Shanklin. Hi, I'm Senior Master Sergeant Warrell and Shanklin, and I am from uh, the Comptroller Squadron here on base at Dover, and I've been in for 22 years. Just this past week, I made my anniversary, and I am, I am excited to be here today. Awesome. All right, so I'm going to share, you know, normally I go to ALS, FTAC, and I get time to spend with our newest airmen and, and kind of sharing our stories and what we expect of them, uh, but really, you know, we've always been told that our Air Force leaders have to share their stories and for airmen to understand uh, that we just didn't wake up one morning and put our stripes on. Miraculously, I became a command chief in one day. Um, we all have had trials and tribulations on how we got to where we're at, uh, but to share our experiences because some airmen may have gone through something similar or you trigger something that they feel comfortable knowing uh, that they're not on a singular island by themselves. And that kind of ties into our resiliency, uh, understanding that you, there are folks out there that, that may have gone through something similar. And so I'll kind of share uh, my story uh, coming up. So I'm kind of like a mixed bag of Skittles. I grew up, my father was gay, spent uh, his entire uh, lifetime until he passed away. Uh, it was a little hard, you know, with don't ask, don't tell. So he always told us that because my brother's army, we couldn't share exactly uh, who he was and his uh, lifestyle because it may affect us. So until don't ask, don't tell came out, we really didn't share anything. And it probably took me a couple years after that to get comfortable with, with being able to share that. Um, my son is, is Hispanic, uh, so I've had, you know, a couple of relationships, uh, bad ones before my, my uh, current one, which has been 22 years, which uh, has, I've been truly blessed uh, with my husband now. Uh, but I also understand that I'm kind of a, that my family dynamics, my husband's black, my son is Hispanic, my other son is black, so we have a biracial family. Uh, and that we are kind of blended from different uh, aspects uh, throughout our lives. But I'll tell you, I came in uh, really to get a, uh, away from a hostile, physical, mental, abusive relationship uh, with my first husband. And somebody told me, hey, why don't you go in the Air Force? I said, okay. So I went in the Air Force, uh, was planning on doing four years. And of course, here we are almost 26 years later. But the it didn't stop there. So as a, a one-striper, um, that that ex-husband decided that uh, he couldn't live without me and held me at gunpoint hostage for two days with an AK-47. Um, and I was considered AWOL. Uh, my leadership started looking for me and then, you know, found me. 
put me in hiding for a couple days trying to figure out where he was, what was going on with him. Uh, and then eventually he got banned from uh, any military installation, uh, probably for life, I hope. Uh, but anyways, that was a long, long time ago. And so then, you know, I got into another relationship, which didn't last long, but it was a kind of a rebound where I had a, a, my youngest son. And so that was the blessing in disguise. However, as a young senior airman uh, in stationed overseas, uh, one of my NCOs at the time I was a senior airman decided that uh, they would like me to babysit uh, their their baby uh, while they went out, which was I was very glad to do so. However, that ended up becoming a sexual assault um, by both of them, and so. Luckily, we didn't have a lot of um, advocacy groups for that back then, but my first sergeant really took care uh, of the situation, uh, took care of making sure that, that um, somebody was there to help, but realizing that I wasn't the only one that had went through that. So uh, going through that during that time. And then to lose, um, as a young staff sergeant, just getting to Effie Warren, um, losing both my grandfathers, my my mother and father in the same uh, about four-year time span uh, was really a turning point for me deciding to stay in the Air Force because uh, the Air Force uh, actually looked after me, my leadership looked after me and made sure that the family was taken care of, that funds were taken care of, funeral arrangements were made. So that was my aha moment for staying in the, the Air Force and, and giving as much as I can. And of course, I'm still having fun so until I'm not having fun and I'm not learning, that's when it'll be time to hang up the hat. But I'll, you know, I kind of share this story, um, not the full story, in different settings um, based on questions that are asked and, and what airmen uh, may, may want to know. Uh, but really, um, this is where I kind of learned of Staff Sergeant James's story um, and when I was talking to his uh, professional enhancement seminar. And so I'll let him get into why what his story is and how he got to where he is at. Well, <clears throat> I can't, I decided to join the Air Force straight out of high school. I planned on going to college, but I decided to change my mind and put, test my feet in something different. Um, I got previous family members who are retired military vets, um, law enforcement. So I wanted to pick something that I felt that I could be proud when I retire later on in life, I could say, hey, I was a part of this and be proud of that. So I decided to join the Air Force. Uh, to join the Air Force Reserve side, um, at the time when I joined, I was engaged, um, had a daughter on the way, uh, me and her mom, we was together since eighth grade. So I guess you could say we was middle school sweethearts. So, um, Joined the military, got my job, went through basic training. Everything was fine. She had a couple of complications with the pregnancy. Uh, went to my tech school, which was out in California. My tech school was about, I'd say about four months long. Uh, got around towards my last three weeks of tech school. And I got a call out of, I got a call one morning before I went to to class and it was from my mother and pretty much she was telling me that you know I needed to sit down and pretty much get myself together and I asked her why and she told me because um, there was a big car accident 
that involved my daughter and her mom. Pretty much, uh, 18-wheeler collided with them, and when it hit them, pretty much the car exploded by the impact of the car. So because of that, that pretty much took out my daughter and her mother because my daughter was still inside, her mom at the time. And um, it kind of, it, it, it killed my spirit. I'm not even going to lie. It killed my spirit a lot because that pretty much what I was doing it for as well because I wanted to have a family and also be in the military. So once that happened, I pretty much felt probably at my lowest uh even the career field that I'm I'm in vehicle maintenance even though that was I was in that school for that career field it's hard to be in this career field because it's always a reminder of what happened during the schooling of this job so I take every day as a a, a blessing I mean I look at them as now my you know guardian angels because I know they look over me right now I have two sons um, after they died three years later, I had my, my oldest son. Uh, he's seven now, and I got my youngest boy. He's one. Um, I'm still serving now because of them. Uh, my oldest look up to me. Uh, he look he loves me being in the military. He doesn't know what I do in the military, but he just loves the fact I'm in the military. Uh, my one-year-old, he doesn't truly understand right now, but later on in life, he's going to get it. Um, it's been a rough ride. These 10 years has been very rough. Um, as an A1C, I actually had to be uh, admitted to a mental hospital over the fact of what happened with my daughter and her mom because I was going through a lot of depression plus the stress from this job, from vehicle maintenance. So it's a lot to deal with. It's a lot for a person to deal with both of those topics at the same time every day, 365 days a year. It's very rough. So now I just pretty much get up with a smile on my face. Yes, I have my days where I'm down, but I just keep on trucking, keep on kicking. I got to for me and my kids. I plan to hopefully get married later in the future. I know, and just <laughs> keep it, try to make it through these next 10 years uh, in the Air Force so I can go ahead and press that retirement button and get on up out of here and say, hey, I did my 20 and I did it, I served it well. So. Maybe 30. We gonna see. <laughs> <laughs> so, so can you discuss the conversation when you were in tech training with your commander that kind of changed or made your decision to stay in the Air Force even though you were going through that? time frame um just so happened right around that time we just got this new uh black female major um she was very she was from louisiana so it was like <laughs> you know it was like a, a a fellow louisiana and i'm talking to so i was like you know she pretty much just sat me down and was like, well, what was the reason you came out here for? And I was like, well, you know, I have a family and I plan on building. And she was like, well, just because your family is gone, that doesn't mean you you drop everything that you're doing. Now you got to keep doing it because of the fact that you have to do this in remembrance of them and make sure they're proud looking over you from above. You know, don't ever stop. You got to keep going. So 
that just motivated me more to keep doing. I mean, it's been plenty of times I could have just been like, you know, I'm done. It was times when it came close to my reenlistment. I was like, yeah, I'm not reenlisting. And somehow the Air Force pulled me right back into reenlist. I don't know how they do it, but they do it every time. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, th- I think I want to say my second enlistment, the reason why I reenlisted was just because of the fact that I put on staff and it was like, I was getting ready to put on staff and they was like, yeah, for you to put on this stripe, you have to reenlist. And I was like, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So now I reenlisted uh, active duty side now, trying to do another 10 years. And I wanted, I wanted to do it that way because I wanted it to be kind of a unique way of enlistment in the Air Force. I want to be able to say, yeah, I did 10 years on both sides. I did 10 years reserve, I did 10 years active. So I know what it felt to be on both sides of the field in the Air Force. So yeah, I'm pretty much here. I'm still kicking, trying to go somewhere, hopefully go another another path in my career and I don't want to be vehicle maintenance as much anymore I want to try my feet in other places because I feel like some people get content with where they're at as far as their career and they feel like that's the only thing that they can do and if you got skills or you able to do other traits or other trades and go into other career fields and do even better then why not so okay okay so we we kind of heard Senior Shanklin's story uh, as the guest speaker at Airman Leadership School last month. And so really, truly share your story and how you got to where you're at. So for the ALS, uh, I mean, uh, graduation, for the graduation there, I kind of left a lot out, um, time, of course, uh, but I would like to give a little bit more. So I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, um, kind of born uh, Charity Hospital, if anybody know what that is, out there in New Orleans, they know. Um, and kind of moved between the 7th Ward and the ninth Ward, but specifically grew up in the ninth Ward. And anybody who knows anything about New Orleans, uh, it's a very violent area, and it has been for quite some time, and it just uh, gets worse, um, or has gotten worse over time. I'm born to two young parents who didn't always know what to do and uh, which made it a very rocky childhood as I grew up. Um, So it kind of caused a rift between me and my father. And so at the age of 15, uh, whatever was going on at the time, I kind of just got tired of it and I left and I I ran away. So I ran away at 15. I jumped from pillar to post and during that time, I went through a lot. Um, You think it's worse one place until you get out in the streets and when you live on the streets, you realize it's a lot worse. Um, kind of became a little bit promiscuous, um, kind of passed around. That's what happens when you live out there. And I wind up eventually trying to get myself back into a stable situation. And I lived with a cousin of mine who lived in the St. Bernard Projects, which no longer exist. She was young, too. She was a young mother. Uh, she had a, a son. And she kind of, she graduated high school, but was in the same predicament I was. Just really didn't know what to do, where to go, kind of lost. And um, lived with her for a while. And then had a couple of relationships, uh, one that became very volatile towards the end. Uh, But not just that relationship, but uh, drug dealers are a dime a dozen down there. And uh, 
wind up messing with a couple of those. And uh, I found myself one day before I, I go to the end where I, we talked about ALS graduation, but I found myself one day with a person who thought that I was cheating on them because I had a mark on my neck and we, we know what that means, right? But it really wasn't. I bruised easily. And um, he held a gun to my head while we were sitting there and I just didn't know what to do except to to try to talk my way out of it. I let him do whatever he was gonna do and he did whatever he was gonna do. And then uh, eventually he fell asleep in and I left. Um, I just kept getting into those type of situations and I think it was because I was lost. Um, I kept attracting people that, that just weren't, I guess, worth anything. So eventually I go back to the house. I'm back living with my cousin in the St. Bernard Projects because now I'm like, okay, what else? And get involved with a guy who was questionable about his um, sexual orientation. He didn't know, you know, back then it was really hard. So this was in the 90s, the early 90s. So it was really hard for people to talk about their sexuality. And I said something, I guess, that triggered a response in him. And that's when he started to beat me up. And I got away, ran into the bathroom. And then the people that were in the house, they really didn't take it seriously at first, but then when they saw I was locked in the bathroom and he was viciously trying to get in, um, they they tried to help. Now, when I, before I ran in that bathroom, I grabbed the knife, of course, and then I'm sitting in this bathroom thinking the whole time, what am I doing? Um, and I think what made my decision to go back to my home that night besides getting beat up and being stuck in the bathroom was I had three younger siblings that depended on me. I'm the oldest of five. Uh, the I call them the three originals or the four originals because my dad has another son. But at that time, those three kids were sitting there and they looked up to me. And I just kept thinking about them over and over again. And I kept thinking, if I die in this bathroom, what are they going to do? They're going to be sitting here thinking, uh, my sister did this, maybe I can do They might follow my example. They might leave home. Um, I also kept thinking they were dealing with the same thing I was dealing with, but they were brave enough to stay behind, and I wasn't. Um, just, I think, a whole bunch of things were going through my head. Um, but after everything died down and the person left, because they got him out of the house, I left in a cab, and I went home. And I knocked on the door and humbly asked to come back inside, and my mom accepted me back in. Um, but I think from then on, things changed. Uh, remember I said I ran away at 15, so I had dropped out of school and I was living on the street for two years. So I had to get my life together for real. Um, I do not have a high school diploma. I went and I got my GED at McDonough 35 at the time, at night school. Um, or McDonough 16, not 35, 35 high school, McDonough 16. See, I'm old. 46, right? <laughs> you forget. But McDonald's 16, for those of you old heads that remember that, that's from New Orleans. And I wind up talking to the principal. Uh, I graduated with my GED in about six months, a little under. And then I asked permission to go graduate with my class. So when I walked in and got my cap and gown, everybody was looking at me like, how did she graduate, <laughs> right? She's been gone for two years. Um, and there were so many rumors about what happened to me um, at the time. So I had to deal with that, too, um, just coming back and trying to fight my way back into, I guess, a more normal world for me. Um, that was a little difficult. But um, I decided I wanted to, 
to get myself right. So not only did I graduate um, with my class, I wound up going seeking mental health for myself um, because I know I had to get right in the head after all that stuff happened. And I had to discuss what was going on in my family that caused me to leave in the first place. Um, uh, I went and got my teeth fixed because they was all jacked up. I went and got my health together. I started working out, joined a gym, um, and then I even went back to college. And uh, to this day, you know, the reason why I came into the military was to get my education because New Orleans not only um, is it usually in the top ten for the highest crime, it is also up there for uh, illiteracy. And so I wanted to make sure that if I ever went back to New Orleans that I could possibly give back and tell my story to them and tell them, hey, there is a way out, that you don't have to deal drugs, that uh, you don't have to sell yourself, or you don't have to do whatever you're doing out there. And so that's kind of what my goal was when I came back in. If I was going to go back to New Orleans, I needed to be able to give back. So today I hold a bachelor's degree in business administration, and I also hold a master's degree in uh, human resource management. And I'm really proud of myself. Uh, and it's not that I stopped going through things there. I want to tell people that there's things that will help you prepare for what you're going to go through next. Um, and there have been some times in my career, in my marriage, that things just didn't go right. But I think what I went through as a child kind of prepared me for what I was going to go through later. And it gives me that strength that I need to say, hey, I've been in this place before and I know how to recover. And I'll, I'll tell you, and I know we discussed that when we got on the topic at the, the professional enhancement seminar, is there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Um, we share the stories not to gain sympathy, mm -hmm. uh, but realizing that hopefully it strikes a chord with somebody else that's been through something, um, realizing that you can be successful and make it through trials and tribulations. Uh, I know your, your story struck home with me because I left home at 16. Um, and thought I was too good for rules, uh, and then I came in the military. But uh, going through that and, and having to live on your own and figuring out, you know, what you're going to do. And, and I worked at Popeye's and, and um, you know, just figuring out this cannot be all that life is going to be made of, right? And then when you get in the military, life happens, you have children that affect you mm -hmm. um, and then you, you're like okay now it's not just about me I gotta figure out life for them um, but in reality you know when, when you share your story you know the the mood in the class kind of got somber right mm -hmm. like oh I may not have it as bad as, as somebody else or have not gone through things uh, but realizing that that your one story has had other people step up and say like oh well I've been through this and, you know, being an MTI, you know, we have that, that um, health morale and welfare check uh, initially when people get into to basic training. And back in, in 2006, we had a female flight come in and, you know, MTIs are loud and yelling at people and you're throwing your stuff out on your beds so we can take your contraband. And this one young lady had, um, had you know, Barbie dolls and, and girl clothes and, and all this stuff. And you're like... You know, her TI is just yelling at her and yelling at her, like, why'd you bring this stuff? Then your recruiter tell you, you know, what to bring. And, and finally, you know, I don't know what made him stop and say, like, okay, why did you bring it? Uh, but to find out that both her daughters were murdered and that's all she had left of them. And so she mm -hmm. was coming into Air Force to start over, to start fresh, right? And so 
realizing that uh, that kind of changes how you look at people, how you view people, and, and we're not just uh, somebody uh, that, that we're trying to put through to get to do a job, but we're all human and we all have stories and share. And so, you know, I, I think it was uh, important that we share, you know, you went to mental health, you went to mental health. Um, I saw, you know, I saw chaplains. Um, they may have made me seek chaplains and mental health um, based on uh, I was not the, the bright and shiny airman. I had a lot of work they had to put into me uh, to, to make sure that I was successful. But I think that was uh, a big proponent as to why I'm here now versus uh, people just writing you off. Um, so really, um, mental health, how did that help you? And, and maybe not sharing what you had to share, but how do you feel it helped you? Um, it made me feel that when I went to mental health, I was in mental health for a week and a half. So it listened to other people's stories when we had group circle meetings every day, all day. Like, listen to what other people was going through compared to what I was going through. It made my story look like it was nothing compared to theirs. But at the same time, I had to think, like, if these people could go through the even worse than what I went through and still be able to seek mental health and still be okay. Uh, you had people in there that were suicidal that once they came to mental health that they was they were okay you know they just had to pretty much sum it all up and soak in what they was going through and pretty much just you know let it pretty much be their armor towards anything else that comes towards them so pretty much i had to take that and learn from that and realize that yeah i mean life gonna life hits hard sometimes you know sometimes it might be it might seem like everything's going good and then the next minute you know just like that something can happen but when that happens you have to be able to be willing to, to take whatever comes with it you know and nothing's in this life's going to be easy my grandmother taught me that you know it's the you know you life is life is giving you lemons you have to make lemonade so that's what it is i like that saying i like that saying and what about you? How did mental health kind of shape and, and move you forward? So I've been, so the mental health I went to was prior to coming into the military. So um, it really helped. I would go three times a week. I would talk to, it, was, it wasn't a group session. It was just one-on-one -on -one session. Uh, but she helped me sift through the things that were going on. She helped me understand uh, that my feelings were warranted. Um, that the way I felt that it, it was warranted that I had the right to feel that way so she made me understand that you know when things happen you do have a right to feel that way she helped me work through those feelings um, she helped me understand in order to to go forward there might be some things that I needed to do I discussed with her uh, what I wanted to improve my education my overall health and we talked about the ways to do that um, so it was it was really eye-opening for, for me. Um, and when she thought I needed medication, she sent me somewhere else so I could get medication, right? Um, I probably wasn't too keen on that because I'm not a big med person. But I took it, right, to see uh, what would happen. Um, because whatever they tell you to do, you know, it's just to see what's going to happen and how things are going to help you. So... I think talking to somebody else, just being able to talk to someone else um, and just have them listen to you, 
is the most helpful thing that you can do. Um, I have had opportunity to go to mental health in the military using uh, military one source as, as well as um, what's that? Um, MFLAC. I use MFLAC. I think MFLAC is an awesome program. They've helped me um, with some of the things that I've dealt with in my own immediate family, husband, child, um, especially when I went to Korea, having some separation issues, not with me necessarily, but with my son and having to deal with uh, the separation of being married and being away from each other. Uh, so we, we talked about some of those things and even some health issues I was experiencing when I went through that um, helped me uh, sift through that. So MFLAC is something that I would advise for anybody that's going through anything. Um, because those one-on-one -on -one sessions, again, really helps uh, when you're mm -hmm. going through something. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time with the, the chaplains, I think, growing up, uh, uh, not recently, but in the 90s. Um, mental health did have that stigma, like you're not going to make it back, you're not going to, you know, it's going to affect you. Um, so really seeking out the, the chaplain to figure out, you know, life and, and what does this mean, but then making sure that you you find people that are going to be with you, but have the honest conversations and they're not just going to tell you it's all going to smell like roses mm -hmm. uh, when it doesn't. Um, so the, the amount of avenues that we have now that that people can utilize, are, I think, are, are paramount um, in getting through. You know, there's many a days that, that I felt alone, and it gets, it gets harder when you become a leader and you become a supervisor, right? Because now you've got to put on that strong front uh, when when others are going through things and so how do you as a leader you know when you have uh, airmen under you how do you uh, get through that and then rebound because you still got to take care of yourself while you're taking care of everybody else and I, I think sometimes you know we're so caught up in taking or trying to take care of everybody else that we forget to take care of ourselves so how do you work through that so because I'm a superintendent, believe me, I get many people that come to the office and because I am approachable, it, it's on a daily basis. Um, I really, it's funny, I don't have a problem with the separation, but I do have to go to the house and like not talk to anybody and just be by myself. So I have to kind of recharge. Um, so when I'm at work and, and I'm listening to stories about divorce or, or people thinking that maybe things aren't the best and they need to seek mental health or we can't pass a PT test and they're, and they're struggling with that, we talk about all the positives. And I think I pull from my past experiences because... I mean, I'm just gonna be transparent here for a second. I never liked running. I came in the military, <laughs> I right? I hate it. I, <laughs> I, I went, run. yeah, I do run, but I, I went, you know. So I, I pulled from it, and I'm just giving that example because that's something that I get a lot of, you know, the airmen coming in, uh, saying, "Hey, I, I can't pass pizzas," and I tell them, you know, what I do? I, I listen to music. I, I literally strategize the track, right? Uh -huh. um, I'm like, am I gonna haul butt? Hall butt on the, <laughs> on the straightaways and then jog those 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 roundabouts right and I give those them ideas and we discuss it and we work through it but I will tell you I, I never had a problem taking those things in um, I haven't had a trigger yet so I, I would have to say that maybe that means I'm pretty much over some of the things uh, that I've been through. I'm not saying everything because I haven't had a trigger, but um, relationship problems may hit me a little harder because um, 
I've had relationship problems um, with my own spouse, and I think that might be the hardest for me um, to because I kind of hear some similar stories. But again, I pull from what have I, I've experienced, the mistakes I've made as as a wife, as a spouse, and I try to to give them advice. You know, we can always give advice. Sometimes we can't follow our own. Um, but to recharge, I read a book. I go home. I literally close my door. Um, I'll cook for my son. I'll do anything to kind of take my mind off of what I just heard for the for the day, and then and recharge my batteries. So that's what I do. What about you? Me, when it comes to my troops, or not even just my troops, just any airman that I have, airman that comes from other maintenance shops, and they come talk to me about the issues. Um, I pretty much just. I I guess I take my staff stripe off and I pretty much just humble myself down to that level because I have to remember like I was in their shoes mm-hmm. so yeah. I have to remember like it was I had NCOs that I couldn't talk to because they just was so like they were so like by the book like they were so in tune with the mission that they didn't really you know even try to be sensitive to what was going on with their own airmen like you you want us to get this vehicle out in two hours, but what about the airmen that you want to get this vehicle out in two hours? How are they feeling? Are they mentally capable to do this job on this vehicle right now? Do you even know that? Do you even know if they're able to do this job? If they get out there on this floor and they hurt themselves because they got something going on at home or something's going on in their head, then you don't know that because they're not comfortable with talking to you about it. So all you're going to do is just give them paperwork and then get them in trouble so you have airmen that just you got some airmen that are afraid to talk to leadership because they're afraid of how leadership is going to look at them as far as their career goes so that's why when it comes to other airmen coming to talk to me that's not even in my direct chain of command i have to let them know you know it's it's you 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 make your career the way that you want to make it Yes, we got rules and regulations that you have to abide by, but at the same time, you also have to take care of you as well because how we expect you to help us in the mission if you're not taking care of yourself. Me, I have my days where at work things will pop up and it make me think about my daughter and her mom at work and stuff like that. So I have my days where I'm kind of to myself and I, you know, just like, uh, uh, Senior Shanka said, you know, I have to recharge. I have to go sit in the corner and let myself, you know, take in what's going on. I have people that come to me with situations that are so horrible that it's like, you know, I don't know what to say, but at the same time, I'm going to give them the resources that can help them better down the road than I can because I can't give, I can't give pretty much advice on everything. But the things that I have actually experienced that I know for a fact that if I can make it through, yeah, you can make it through that. Like, I mean, it's going to be all right. I mean, having that listening ear. Yeah. And some some airmen, they just having that listening. Some of them don't even want you to give them advice. They just want you to sit there and just listen. And once they vent and get it out, then they're like, (sighs) and then they take their nice breath of relaxation. And then they're like, they change it to this whole new person now. And now they doing things that you ain't seen them doing before and it's like okay well i guess they're feeling better now but they still have to know that you still have to seek some kind of you know mental help if if, if you haven't 
mental issues, if you're battling depression, if you know, even something just being as simple as being like homesick. You could, some people just homesick and net homesick and turn it into depression. You know, it's just people need to learn their their what their coping mechanisms are. Mm-hmm. You know, once they learn that how to cope with things, uh, what they have to do to be okay with certain situations, then they will be okay and they'll be fine. And they'll keep on pushing. I mean, I'm here, so I'm still here and kicking. So, I mean, my mechanism as far as coping with things is I just video chat with my with my sons, and I'm I'm okay after that. So. Awesome. You know, uh, thank you both so much for sharing um, your stories. Uh, we want to make sure that, that others can, can know that there's avenues out there. So mental health, chaplain, MFLAC, um, you name it. We have plenty of sources out there to help us through that. Um, and just to know that, that there is no airman that's alone. You know, we, we all have had stories, experiences that got us to where we're at. Uh, but hopefully what, what you all have shared uh, can help someone else out and in the long run um, thanks for being you thanks for being here and, and thanks for um, being a part of the Air Force family thank you, thank you.